You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. It, we're going to go into Acts, but um, in Acts 3, Peter and John are walking to the, they're walking to the temple, and there is a lame man who's been lame for 40 years and he sits at the temple and he begs. Every day he's begging and asking for money from the people at the temple. And Peter and John, they show up to the temple to pray and when they get there, the man begins to ask them for money and Peter says, I don't have that, but what I do have, I give to you. What I do have, I give to you. And he says, get up get up, get up. And the man gets up and it says he begins walking and leaping and praising God. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Me, you, we've got rivers of life flowing out. And what does it do? Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. I'm an ordinary person with the spirit of God on the inside of me ready to flow out of me. The power of Jesus on the inside of me that makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. So spring up, spring up, oh well. Spring up within me, spring up, oh well. Spring up within me. Thank you, praise and worship team. That worked really well, how that just, because that's actually, uh, Acts 3, I talk about just for a second, because we're going to go into Acts 4. Uh, We've been talking about the church and um, how God is calling the church to rise up, to wake up from its place of slumber, from doing doing church just to do church. It's time for the church, which is the body of Christ, to rise up. And I've said it, and I'll say it again, the church is not a building, it's a people. It's a people. And so he's calling for the church to rise up. And so we're gonna go to Acts 4, but in Acts 3 is where you see Peter and John go to the temple and they tell the crippled man to get up, to get up, to get up. And he gets up and he is healed of Um, being crippled for all of his life. He's healed and he, it says, immediately begins walking and leaping and praising God. And and as I was reading that, getting ready for the service, I believe that that was a prophetic word for us as a church, that God by his spirit is ushering out the words, get up, church, get up. It's time to arise. It's time to come out. Last week we said, you're coming out. You're coming out of this, that the things that have held us in bondage, the things that we've walked away from, the things that we thought were done, the battles that we have fought for year after year, all of those things that the Spirit of God is putting forth His voice and He's saying, get up, get up. But what happens when the Spirit of God goes forth and says, get up, begin walking, and leaping and praising God. The things that have crippled us for years and years suddenly happens and we get set free. It's happening, church. You're coming out. You're coming out. I've been saying it all week. You're coming out. You're coming out of this. You're coming out. So we're going to go into Acts 4 again, talking about the church. And Acts 3 is what happened with the crippled man. He gets up. 
And so religious leaders begin to hear that this is going on and they are not happy about it. They are not happy that Peter and John and the rest of the disciples are talking about Jesus and miraculous things are happening. They have seen this before in their lifetime when Jesus walked the earth and they know what happens, right? They know what happens when Jesus begins to move. And so they are once again trying to stop what's about to happen. So in Acts 4 verse 1, the teaching and preaching of Peter and John angered the priests the captain of the temple police and the representatives of the Jewish, Jewish sect of the Sadducees. They were furious that the people were being taught that in Jesus there is resurrection from the dead. So while Peter and John were still speaking, the Jewish authorities came to the temple courts to oppose them. They had them arrested. And since it was already evening, they kept them in custody until the next day. Yet there were many in a crowd who believed the message, bringing the total number of men who believed to nearly 5,000. In Acts 2, you saw that it was just a little amount. It was 2,000, just a little, you know, a few people that were coming to know Christ. Um, 2,000, but now it's beginning to grow and it's like growing like crazy. And now they're at 5,000 because people are hungry for the word of God. People are hungry for the good news. And we carry that. We carry the good news. And so then jump down to verse seven. It says, they made Peter and John stand in front of the council. This is the Jewish leaders. As they questioned them saying, tell us by what power and authority have you done these things? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, answered, respected elders and leaders of the people, listen. Are we being put on trial today for doing an act of kindness by healing a frail crippled man? Well then, you and everyone else in Israel should know that it is by the power of the name of Jesus that a crippled man stands here today completely healed. He's like, it's not about us. You're upset, but it ain't us. It's the name of Jesus. It says, you crucified Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but God raised him from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that you, the builders, have rejected, and now he has become the cornerstone. There is no one else who has the power to save us for there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, and that is the name of Jesus. Jesus, we just invite you right now to do a work in our hearts. Jesus, it's your name. Jesus, it's you. It's all about you. It has nothing to do about a man, but Jesus, it has everything to do with you. And so we show up today, not because it's religious duty. We show up today because we've come to worship you and glorify you and honor you. It's because of you, Jesus, that we stand here today. Why wouldn't we give our lives for this? So Jesus, have your way. Holy Spirit, move and speak to each one of our hearts like only you can do. Breathe on us. Breathe on us breath of life and cause the dead areas of our hearts, of our lives to come to life again. Breathe on us so that dreams come to life again. Breathe on us, Father, so that the places that have been wounded and the places of our lives that we've shut down, breathe on us the healing life, the healing breath, 
cause areas to be healed again, cause wholeness to come to our lives. Breathe on us, Father. And just move through this room. We want to walk out of here changed by your Spirit. Move on us, God. Move on us. So he says, there is no one else who has the power to save us, for there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, the name of Jesus. Jesus. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. So I want to stop for a second at just this verse. Two things stick out to me in that verse. And the one is the bold courage that Peter and John had. Recognizing that Peter and John before Jesus were not men of incredible courage. Peter, when faced with um, asking if if, if he was a friend of Jesus, bailed, denied him. Not a man of courage, but now you see Peter and John standing there and men are looking at them saying, oh my goodness, these are men of incredible, bold courage. It says they were astonished by it. And then the second thing is he says, they were especially astonished when he recognized that these were just ordinary men with no religious training. To understand that each one of us are ordinary men, ordinary women. But it's when God breathes on us, when his spirit is upon us, it's Jesus within us that makes us do extraordinary things, supernatural things, it's Jesus in us. It's knowing who Jesus is. It's knowing the Jesus within us that makes bold courage rise up in us the Jesus within us. So they're astonished. They can't believe it. Who are these guys? Verse 13. I love this verse. This is just, it it gets me every time. Verse 13. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Just even the word simply. These men are watching Peter and John and they're astonished by their bold courage. They have no religious training. Who are these guys? And as they're watching them, suddenly they realize, I can see the effect that Jesus has had on these two men simply by just spending time with him. Think about that. The effect that Jesus has on us Simply, 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 because it's easy to spend time with him. Simply by spending time with him. That every time you encounter Jesus, you go from glory to glory, from strength to strength. Every time, you know, there's times where I will pray and spend time with Jesus and man I know in an instant like I walk out of there and I'm just undone like he just rocked my world 
And I'm like, wow, you know, like I, I know that something's changed in me. Then there's times where I spend time with them and I really don't feel anything. I'm like, okay, well, I did it, you know, and I spent time with them, and it was good, but it wasn't like, you know, the times where you're like snotting and crying and all those things. Maybe that doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. And, but then it'll be weeks later where suddenly, suddenly, maybe I read in my journal and I'm like, oh my gosh, you knew. You knew the end from the beginning. You knew what I needed in those moments. You knew. Simply by spending time with him, He will change your life. Ephesians 4.20 says, But this is not the way of life that Christ has enfolded within you. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. If you have really experienced Jesus, the anointed one, and you've heard his truth, it'll be seen on your life. It'll be seen. And the amazing thing is, is that's why Jesus died. So that you could experience him. So that you could know the Father. So that you could be changed. It was the gift that he gave. At the end of the verse where it says, for we know the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. In the footnotes of my Bible, it says this, the ultimate reality means the real, that real learning comes from the encounter with Jesus, from just being around him. That's where the real learning comes from. And he invites us into that place. That's why it has to be so much more than a Sunday morning experience. It has to be so much more. This is great and we're called to come together on whatever day, Sunday for us. We're called to come together because we need each other. He's called us together, that's important, but he's called us deeper to a place of connection with him. Of connection with him. The life that the church was meant to be lived is as him at the head in connection with him. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. And a lot of times I think we we think that way. The pastors, the leaders, they're not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. The pastor will give vision, will, you know, speak the word, live by example, but by no means is they ever meant to be the head. I'll prove this in Colossians 1.18. It says, he is the head of the body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one holding first place in everything. I read that the other day and I thought, is he first place in everything in my life? 
but he is the he is the head of the body so if Jesus is the head of the body we must live our lives in connection with him we must live our lives connected to the head of the body imagine if our bodies had no head that would be a problem and he is the head of the body and so if he's the head of the body we must live our lives in connection with him which means in relationship with him which also means that the pastor can't do that for you I was never meant to be the place of the pastor to live in connection with Jesus for you. We were all meant to live in connection with Jesus. And as we live in connection with Jesus, it'll be seen in our lives. It'll be seen in our lives. People will be astonished and say, I can see that Jesus has had effect on their lives simply by spending time with him. So good, love that verse. Okay, down Acts 4, verse 15. So they ordered them to leave the room while they, were, while they discussed the matter. Among themselves they said, what should we do with these men? Everyone in Jerusalem can clearly see that they've performed a notable signs and wonders. We can't deny that. But to keep this propaganda from spreading any further among the people, let's threaten them severely and warn them to never speak to anyone in this name again, because Jesus' name has power. <laughs> so they had them brought back in before the council and they commanded them to never teach the people or speak again using the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, you can judge for yourselves. Is it better to listen to you or to God? It's impossible for us to stop speaking about all the things we've seen and heard. So in this moment, they are telling them, listen, we could listen to you. We could choose you. We could obey you. Or we could choose God and obey him. It's impossible. It is impossible for us not to speak about him. We can't. We choose God. We choose to obey God. Because Jesus... Before he left, he left the commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. This is what I'm calling you to do. Now go, go. And so they're, they're being faced with this moment. They're saying, stop, we want you to stop. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop mentioning his name. Stop before this gets any further. We want you to stop. And they said, well, we could obey you or we could obey God. We choose God. It's impossible. We, we, have to, we have to choose God. And so as I'm reading this and I'm, I'm getting ready for Sunday and I'm reading through this and I'm like, my gosh, recognizing that they're being faced with this fear of God or fear of man. You can choose you can choose to fear man or you can choose to fear God. And I think that a lot of times the church even has become powerless because we chose to fear man rather than fear God. And I think that 
This is one of the places I believe, I don't even think, I, I believe that this is one of the places where God is saying, church, rise up. Rise up, church, out of this place where you're constantly fearing what man will say. And I think the church is coming out of this place. He says, you're coming out, you're coming out. But even as we go into this and begin to talk about the fear of man, I want you to examine your own hearts. What's going on in your own heart? Do I often put man in the place of God? Do I often look at man before I look at God? Do I want to please man before I please God? Is that what's more important to me? And sometimes we don't mean to do it. You know, we can say, no, I don't want to do that. But then that's the choices we make. God says, you're coming out. You're coming out of this boldness. I've called my church to walk in boldness. It's their very DNA. It's the very life of Christ in them. So I'm just gonna talk about the fear of man, what it is. The fear of man is the fear of the rejection of people or the disapproval of people. You perform for the approval of people. You fear what others may do. And oftentimes you choose what you will do based on what people will say or do to you. The decisions that you make are calculated because you are thinking about what the other, how the other person will react. You think in your mind that other people would think, you think in your mind what other people would think before you can make a decision. This is the fear of man and it separates us from the bold courage that we are to walk in. So Peter and John, it, it says that the Jewish leaders were astounded by the bold courage. But you notice that they chose God. They chose God. But the fear of man separates you from bold courage. Okay. The fear of man is often when, when you take what you think is the safer place, is a safer path to go on, but it's not. The fear of man is one of the biggest cripplers in the body of Christ because it actually dislocates people from their usefulness and their purpose. God calls you, God calls you and he says, I've got a purpose and I've got a plan for you and, and you're gonna do wild things and this is what I've called you to do. And you look back and you think, yes, that's great, that's awesome. Okay, I can't wait to get to my purpose. And then God says, I want you to do this. And man says, if you do this, there'll be trouble. And you say, okay, I won't do that then. But God, I want, my pl I want your plan. I want the purpose that you have for my life. This is, I'm going for it. Okay, step out. I want you to do this. And man says, you'll look dumb if you do that. That will offend me if you do that. Okay. Okay, I, I choose man. And we do this. I said in the first service, or we try to find a way for some middle ground. Like maybe if I just, I go half this way, but then I'll just word the word of God different or I'll, I'll change just a little bit of what he said so that it doesn't offend the people around me. 
the fear of man. And this is what it says, it dislocates you from your purpose. Come on, church, it's time to come out. You're coming out. Get up. <laughs> the fear of man will constantly have you looking to man rather than to God. It will try to seek man's approval continually. It's actually a form of idolatry because it can lead a person to be more concerned with what man thinks about them rather than what God thinks about you. Oh man, we've all been here. And if we were all honest with ourselves, we're probably in some areas of our life there still. And God's breathing on this in this moment saying, come out. Galatians 1.10 says, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Think about that. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. I can't serve two masters. So either I'm a slave to people or I'm a servant of God. Either I'm a slave to people or I'm a servant of God. But I can't be both. Man, that's so good. He just said that to me, so that's why I had to say it twice. <laughs> Jesus walked with the fear of God. Jesus walked with the fear of God. He says, I can only do what I see my Father do. I'm only going to say what my Father wants me to say. And he walked in this place of, I am concerned about what my Father thinks. I'm concerned about what my Father wants. That's my mission here on earth, church. That's our mission here on earth. He says, so I'm, I'm only concerned about that. But had Jesus had a fear of man, Jesus wouldn't have healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, because they wanted him to stop. Jesus wouldn't have been able to walk into the temple and rip everything up. He wouldn't have been able to speak the controversial things that he did if he had a fear of man. And he probably wouldn't have ended up on the cross. And where would that have left us? Where would that have left us? But instead, Jesus feared God and he changed history. He shaped culture. He spoke in to the things of the government. He spoke in to the things of the church. He changed atmospheres. He went in and culture shifted when he got there. That's who Jesus was because he feared God more than he feared man. And God has called his church to rise up and shape culture, change atmospheres, speak into government, speak into what things should be like, speak the word of God into situations. But the church has shut themselves up because they feared man more than they feared God. And he says, it's, it's time, church, it's time. Get up, get up, get up. It's time for boldness. It's time for you to shape culture instead of culture shaping you. There is a world that is just desperate just like they were in Jesus' day. They were just desperate. Jesus showed up on the scene and people were following him. 
in crowds, crowds and crowds and crowds because they were desperate. Nothing's changed. People are still desperate today, but we've allowed the enemy to silence our voice and be quiet when people are desperate for the very thing you have inside of you. It's time to come out, church. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, if you fear other people, you are walking into a dangerous trap. But if you trust the Lord, you will be safe. It's a trap. Fearing people is a trap. You, you begin to fear one person and, and you begin to think about what they say and then you're fearing that person and then you're worried about what they say and then suddenly your whole life is being conducted by what man says about you. And little by little, before you even know it, you, you once were like, I'm kind of concerned about God, I'm kind of concerned about them, but little by little, it's a trap, it's a trap where you'll be consistently concerned about what man thinks about you and not at all what God thinks. I heard this saying, we obey the one we fear. The person whose reward of approval we desire most, whose curse, curse of disapproval we most fear to receive is the person we will obey. They become our functional God. And that's why the Bible so often commands us to fear the Lord. Bill Johnson says this, and I loved it, so I had to put it in my message. The fear of man makes it very hard to withdraw from people and go to the mountains and pray. As the fear of man prefers busyness over priorities. The fear of man can only be where the fear of God should be. In other words, there's nothing else that fills that place. It's the fear of man or it's the fear of God. Back to Acts 4, verse 21. Since the members of the council couldn't come up with a crime they could punish them for, they threatened them once more and then they let them go. All the people praised God, thrilled over the miraculous healing of the crippled man. It's coming, church. We're going to see these things in our lifetime, and it's soon. As soon as they were released from custody, Peter and John went to the other believers and explained all that had happened with the high priest and the elders. When the believers heard their report, they raised their voices in unity and prayed. Important, in unity and prayed. Skip down to verse 27. So they're praying right now. And as they are praying, this is, this is, I'm coming in on the middle of their prayer just for the sake of time. They said, in fact, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Jews and non-Jews, met together to take their stand against your holy servant, Jesus the Messiah. They did to him all that your purpose and your will had determined according to their destiny, destiny you had marked out for them. So now, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us. The fear of man is always about harm. What kind of harm could be done to me? How could you hurt me emotionally, mentally, physically? What kind of harm? What if you reject me? What could you say about me? What if you talk about me? What kind of persecution could come from man if I do these things? It's about harm. And because we, we, because we see harm, then the spirit of fear comes in, the, the fear of man comes in, and it protects us 
from being harmed. It protects us from harm. But the, but the disciples, the church comes together and they do something opposite. They see the harm. They understand what's being spoken. They see that they're saying, we are going to hurt you. And later on we see they get hurt. <laughs> We're going to hurt you. And so they respond this way. This is their prayer. So they say, Lord, listen to the threats to harm us. But then they say, empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. You understand that they're saying, let us speak the word freely. It was not free for them to speak. They were being told to stop it. But they're saying, empower us to speak the word freely and courageously. Instead of succumbing to the harm, instead of giving in to the harm and giving in to the, to the fear of man, instead they pray, God, it's only by your spirit, it is only you. We need you to empower us to fulfill the commission that you have asked us to do. It has to be you. It has to be your spirit on us. So breathe on us, empower us to fulfill the call that you have for us and, and so that we can speak the word of God freely. And also we're gonna need some courage. Okay, look at this. Verse 30, stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and move in signs and wonders by the name of Jesus. I love this verse so much that I wasn't going to stop here again, but I'm stopping here again. Just stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and move in signs and wonders. Stretch out your hand. They're asking Jesus to stretch out his hand through us. This was such a revelation to me because so many times I think, okay, you've called me to lay hands on the sick. What if they don't recover? It's not your hands. It's his hands through you. It's Jesus stretching out through you. Think about that next time you go to pray. As I, as I lift my hands towards someone to pray, it's Jesus' hands through me. His healing power through me. It's not me. It's Jesus empowering you. It's His courage. It's His strength. It's His power and ability working on your behalf. It's Him in me. So Jesus, empower me to speak the word freely with boldness and with courage and stretch out your hands in me to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. Verse 31, at that moment, the earth shook beneath them, causing the building where they were to tremble. And each one of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. It was the very thing that they had asked for. And it showed up. Understand this, that, that the church knew that they were under persecution. The church knew that there was harm coming. The church knew that they were being asked to be quiet. But instead they said, we, we either choose you or we choose God. So it's impossible, we have to choose God. And instead of folding under the harm, what they did was they said yes. They said yes to God. They said yes. So here. 
God says, I've got plans and I've got purposes for you. Here it is. Here it is. Okay, I want it, God. I want it. Awesome. This is what I'm going to need you to do. Step this way. And the voices come. And the voices come and they're like, if you do that, you're going to look dumb. If you do that, the enemy's going to take you out. If you do that, people are going to laugh. If you do that, you'll be put in prison. I don't know. But in this moment, hearing what man could do, instead, my stances empower me. Yes, God, you've called me for this time. You've called me with purpose, so empower me. Breathe on me, I say yes. And you move in. It's not about you. It's about the Spirit of God. It's about who's inside you. You gotta do is empower me. It's all you gotta do, God, empower me. And what happens as soon as they say, we choose God, empower us, immediately the Spirit of God moves in. The ground begins to shake and what do they do? They're filled with unrestrained boldness to speak the gospel. 32 says, all the believers were in one mind and heart. Selfishness was not a part of their community for they shared everything they had with one another. Praise and worship team, you can come. And it says, the, the apostles gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They kept, what is it saying? They kept speaking. They kept talking. They kept giving the powerful testimonies. And then it says, and great measures of grace rested upon them all. And great measures of grace rested upon each one of them as they fulfilled the commission that God had for them. Isn't that incredible? So good, so good. So Father, we're asking for you to breathe on us. We're asking for you to empower us. That in this moment, Lord, we know that you have, you have left a commission for your church to rise up and to do the things that you've called and appointed and asked each one of us to do. And Father, we repent for the places where we have succumbed to the fear of man, where we were more concerned about what people thought, where we were more concerned about humanistic ideas, where, where we were worried about what the greater crowds would say to us. And in this moment, God, we say yes. And we get up and we come out of that place of fearing man's voice more than pleasing you, more than wanting what you want. So God, empower us. Empower us, your church, to rise up to come out and to proclaim your word with unrestrained boldness. Father, give us courage, give us boldness, give us strength. Holy Spirit, move on us. We need an awakening. Move on us. Breathe your spirit on us. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Have a wonderful, oh, one more thing. And God, lots of hot, wa hot water. Hot water and hot weather. <laughs> we need more hot weather. <laughs> Go ahead. 
For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.